Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Nathan Lear and once again I'm with my co-host Glenn Fairburn. Today we are proudly brought to you by Hewison Private Wealth, one of Australia's leading independent wealth management firms. This week, this week's episode of the podcast is a little bit different to usual. Uh, during the week, Glenn and I presented at Hewison Private Wealth's uh, Wealth and Protection Forum to an audience of over 100 people. We covered topics mainly focusing on uh, those of the ages from about 20 to 50, um, looking predominantly at wealth accumulation and risk management. Uh, and we, we did use a, a case study. So in, the, in this presentation, we, we did use uh, some, some slides that obviously won't be available in this, in this audio session, but we still thought there was a lot of good value in the presentation, so we hope you can get a, a couple of things out of it. So thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Great. Well, thank you, Andrew, um, and good evening, everybody. Uh, and thank you for joining Hills and Private Wealth and our, at our Wealth Creation and Protection Forum tonight. It's great to have you here. Before we start the... Now this should work Point when I click. The there we go, as we find now. Before we start the formal discussion, just a, a quick note that whatever Glenn and I speak about tonight is a general discussion, so we haven't considered obviously your personal situation. So if you do want to act on anything, we'd strongly encourage that you do seek your own financial advice. So just to introduce ourselves, my name is Nathan Lear. This is my colleague, Glenn Fairburn. So we're both uh, private client advisors and directors of Hewlett & Private Wealth. Glenn and I are also hosts of the Money Mentors podcast, as An Andrew mentioned earlier. So Glenn and I, um, the main objective for this podcast is, is pretty simple. It's to improve financial literacy and awareness to our listeners and as many people as possible out there. On many surveys that you'll read, it's, it's quite common that people talk about money or finances as, as being right up there with the things that are most important to them, along with the obvious things like family and health. But in our line of work, it's, it's quite ironic, I guess, that many people that we kind of speak to or, or deal with do neglect their finances. As Andrew mentioned earlier, you know, most of our clients do tend to be older or nearing retirement. So that's why when we do see a younger client, we really do enjoy it because we feel like there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of work we can do nice and early to set them on that path to, to financial freedom. So everybody in this room tonight has made a, a conscious decision to be here. You're taking, I guess, the, the right step in, or the, you know, the, in the right direction. So thank you for that. And hopefully you get a bit out of what Glenn and I speak, to, to speak about tonight. Now to get you in the right frame of mind, not too dissimilar to what Andrew was speaking about, we just want to pose three questions which I'd like you to quickly think about in your head now and then as we move through the case study perhaps uh, think a little bit further about that and how it might relate to you. So just going through the questions, what would you do right now if you were financially independent? Secondly, if you had all the money in the bank account that you, that you needed, what would you do? And thirdly, how would you feel if you achieved all of your financial dreams? Now obviously everybody is different, everybody has different objectives. So just have a think about what yours are uh, and, and as we move through it, the case study, think about how that might uh, relate to you and your situation. 
pretty self-explanatory uh, here, but without a, without a plan, you're probably most likely to fail. So once again, the earlier you get working on a, on a financial plan for yourself, we think the better off you'll be. And we think that financial independence is achievable for everybody out there, no matter what your situation is. Understanding your objectives is obviously half the battle. So tonight, Glenn and I are gonna take you through a, a journey. We're, we're gonna, gonna go through a case study for an individual from age 20 and then 50 on beyond. Thanks, Nathan. So as Nathan said, we're just gonna go on a bit of a journey this evening from age 20 to 50. Uh, effectively, what we've done tonight is, is break down this particular person's life into three distinct stages. Um, so initially between the ages of 20 to 30, that's what we really, I suppose, re refer to as laying the foundation. So really focusing on getting the structures and strategies right early on in life that can really help you achieve the financial outcomes that you want as you progress through life. Um, and then for a lot of people, the ages of 35, sorry, 30 to 45 is really about debt reduction and risk protection. So looking at your situation as you evolve through your, through your life, as your situation changes and shifting your focus. And then lastly, we're really gonna focus on perhaps mid to late 40s, where the debt obligations have perhaps been reduced, children are a little bit older. So really focusing on asset accumulation. So what we wanna do this evening um, is introduce you to Jane. Um, Jane's in her early 20s. She's recently finished university, so she's studied long and hard to get a law degree. She's very disciplined, very um, career focused. She wants to progress through the ranks over a, a long period of time. Um, but she's also pretty keen to have a fairly balanced life. So she wants to save for a house and put in a plan to help her buy that property at some stage later um, in, her, in her 20s. But she also wants to have a good balance. Um, so she takes a year off after university and, and travels around Europe. Uh, but when she does come back, she starts employment at a local law firm. Um, and as I said, she's, she's very disciplined, um, wants that balance of life, but also wants to set in place um, a fairly well-structured and, and diversified uh, plan. Um, so I, I suppose the, the question that I would like to pass on to Nathan is really what should her priorities be at such a young age? Sure, so, so definitely, Glenn. So budgeting is probably one of the most important things somebody in Jane's position can do. So she's just started her employment, she's uh, earning probably quite good income now. So she's thought a little bit about her objectives. She knows what she wants to do, uh, what she wants to do such as travel, save for a house. She knows what she's earning. She really needs to complete the exercise in terms of what are you spending? Because without knowing what you're spending, you don't know what you're saving. And then that will give her a lot more control over what her future, uh, I guess, uh, power is or ability is to save for things like a house deposit. So budgeting can be a tedious exercise. It can be you know, quite painful. I don't know how many people in this room have actually sat down and, and completed a budget. It can take a couple of hours. I think, I think the reason a lot of people often um, maybe kind of cringe at the idea of doing a budget is because it can force you to face a few home truths. You might have to adjust your lifestyle. If you've, if you've completed the exercise, you know, like Andrew spoke a lot about, you know what your dreams are. You want to retire at a certain age you know what you need to save or contribute to a, a retirement plan. That might require a, an adjustment of your spending habits. And quite often people don't want to do that. They just want to go through the motions. So in terms of budgeting, one common strategy that people often adopt is what's called a, a bucket strategy. 
So as you can see behind me here, there's, there's three buckets. You'll have your expenses coming into perhaps a, you know, your everyday bank account. And you might identify, such as Jane has in this situation, that you want to travel. So she might put a portion of her, her monthly salary perhaps into a, a holiday account. At the same time, she's spoken about a desire to purchase a house in the future. So she might start moving money into a house deposit account or portfolio that we'll speak a little bit later. I think our advice would be with budgeting is, is just, just start. There are, there, are so many, there are so many great tools out there at the moment. We often, um, I know that my fellow advisors, we often quote the ASIC Money Smart website is a great tool because often when you're completing a budget, you don't think about things. So if you have all the, the prompters in front of you, it does make the exercise a lot easier. So just adding on to the budget, one of the advantages of, of, the, budget, of the bucket strategy is, is just being able to account for expenses over a longer period of time. I mean, most of you in the room, I know I have sort of got caught into the habit of, um, you know, accounting for bills on your credit card, like a large bill comes that you haven't accounted for. So one of the advantages of having that expense budget and apportioning an amount from your salary each week or each month as, as you get paid is to account for your expenses and really average them out over a long period of time. That way, whenever a bill comes, the funds are there for you to pay it. You don't have to worry about you know, coming up with a credit card to pay your bill and then you've got that vicious cycle of continually chasing your tail effectively. But one of the other important things in order to really take control of your finances and, and stick to a plan, a lot of people just think that earning more money is going to solve all their problems. And quite often that's not the case. As Andrew was touching on, it's really a lot about controlling your expenditure. Because the temptation is that, in particular for Jane, she's quite young. Now her salary may increase quite rapidly for the first 10 or so years. The temptation there is to just continue increasing your lifestyle. If she can keep that lifestyle in check, all that means is that her savings capacity progressively increases, which gets her closer to that financial independence. Um, there is a really great resource that I would encourage a lot of people to read, a book that I actually read over the summer. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. Um, it was actually written in the early 1920s, so it's a very old book. But a lot of the principles that were applied in that book and recommended through stories still apply today. And one of the recommendations or suggestions in that book is to effectively pay yourself first. Now, I know that's a fairly strong quote um, with Scott Pape, the barefoot investor, pay yourself first. But this is a principle that's over 100 years old. And the principle really just relates to trying to save at least 10% of your salary. And for a lot of people in the room, you might think, well, there's no way I can cut my expenditure. But the challenge is there's no reason why you can't live off nine-tenths of your salary. Because if you look at someone next to you or someone in exactly the same situation, they may be earning less than you and are still able to live a comfortable lifestyle. So the challenge is laid to really look at your expenses and try and save at least 10% of your salary. Sure. <clears throat> Another way I've often heard that put is, imagine if the government just imposed a a 10% tax overnight and you would have to comply with this 10% tax. You'd be as frustrated as anything, you'd kick and scream, but you wouldn't have a choice. So if you do want to take some greater control in terms of your financial freedom, just tax yourself 10% uh, of your, your earnings and put it into an investment account and, and it'll, it'll make the world of difference down the track, which we're going to talk about in a moment with, uh, with compound interest. So, so Jane, we identified earlier that Jane has a couple of objectives, uh, the, the travel and, the, and also the, the house deposit. So we spoke about the different buckets. So she needs to invest according to her different objectives. So for her, her holiday or 
her upcoming travel over the next couple of years, she wouldn't want to take on too much risk with, um, with that part of her portfolio. She'd probably just want to keep it in cash or fixed income. Uh, she needs access to this money. She doesn't want to be subject to market volatility and market risk if the market was to move against her. At the same time, she's identified that she wants to save for a house deposit. This is a more medium to longer term objective of at least five years, five to seven years perhaps. So she'd be more comfortable to invest this money in a dedicated portfolio where she might have access to, to growth investments such as shares or different types of property perhaps where hopefully it will grow over time. Which leads us into um, the principle of compound interest which Albert Einstein famously called the eighth wonder of the world. And for those who understand it, he who understands it earns it, he who doesn't pays it. Um, the power of compound interest really comes out in examples, but just to quickly explain what it is if you don't know, it's basically interest on interest. And the longer this process has to happen, the, it's like a snowball effect, snowball effect, you'll earn more money. So, Just, uh, just quickly, Nathan, sure. just before we move on to this project, the projection, just to explain this quote a little bit further, what it's basically saying is that if you understand the power of compounding interest, you're more encouraged to invest but those who don't use their credit card and bring forward expenditure and that's when you start paying it. So it is really important to understand the power that compounding does have. Sure. So with a, a quick example in terms of uh, Jane and her situation, have I got a, there's a point here. So she's starting with $10,000. She's built up a, a, I guess a small pre-deposit, I might call it. She's determined, she's completed her budget and she's determined that she can put $1,000 a month into this strategy, great. She wants to buy a house in around five years' time, so we'll call it a five-year strategy. And we're assuming here what we think is an achievable rate of return of, call it 7%. So she might invest the money in a portfolio with some exposure to some growth assets, along with other things like fixed income and, and cash and whatever she needs. Hopefully I'm not blocking everybody here, but if she, if she completes this uh, strategy in around five years' time, that would have built up to around $85,000. So not a bad deposit. You can see, we're going to show you another example later, but you can see that her 10,000 starting amount, 60,000 in deposits, she has got a little bit of compound interest. You can see that over the years, the compound interest amount, which is the light shade of pink there, does grow. And when we show you a longer term example, you'll get a shock by how much better that position would be. So just moving on from investments at a young age, as, as we're saying, Jane's recently started sort of full-time employment. So she's very stable with her job at the moment, but through university, she's worked multiple jobs. And as a result of that, it's probably got a number of different superannuation funds. Now, she may not think that this is a priority at this stage because she's got 35 years before she'll be able to access that money within superannuation. Um, so Nathan, I suppose posing the question to you, is it something that she should worry about now or should she forget about it and leave it till she's 50? Sure, look, superannuation, absolutely. Uh, one, of, one of the things that shocks me I guess a lot, is that when I speak to younger people, they don't often know what, what, what their superannuation fund is. They have trouble saying what the name of the fund is. Um, if they know the name of the fund, they might not even know how it's invested. So they might say, oh, I think I'm in a, a balanced option or a growth option, but I'm not too sure. Uh, quite often when people start working, such as Jane, they might just go with a superannuation fund that their employer has selected. Yeah, it might be fine. It might not. Um, quite often they'll go into the default option, which will be the Usually it's the balanced option. For someone in Jane's position who might be in her early 20s, is a, is a balanced option appropriate for her? You'd argue that maybe she can take on a little bit more risk. She has a 40-year time horizon. 
So she might want to be in something a bit more high growth or growth. The other question that quite often gets asked, in particular for someone in Jane's situation, is should we be contributing additional amounts to superannuation? Now, there is a fairly significant tax benefit for Jane to increase her contributions to superannuation. So she could actually make pre-tax contributions to super, which would be taxed at 15%. Now, if we compare that tax rate with the highest rate of tax at 47%, there's a 32% tax saving here. So it's quite a substantial amount of savings that she could obtain from that. So on the face of it, the, question, the answer to that question might be yes, she should be maximising what she's contributing to superannuation. However, the downside of that strategy is that she won't be able to access that money until she's 60. So as we've spoken about, she's got a number of other objectives that she wants to achieve in the short term. So whether it's travel, or probably more importantly, buying a house. So if she's using up her surplus cash flow to make additional contributions to super, that's really going to impact her ability to meet those shorter term objectives. So in a general sort of um, situation, we'd probably be suggesting that she holds off on really maximising those contributions to superannuation. And with superannuation, obviously understanding your fund and your investment option are very important, but other things to consider such as a death benefit nomination, do you have a death, death benefit nomination in place? Is it accurate? Does it comply with the superannuation laws? There are only a particular type of people you can nominate as your beneficiary. Uh, insurance, we're going to discuss insurance in a lot more detail later, but just in terms of your superannuation fund, understand your insurance. You probably have default insurance in there that you don't even know about. Just to wrap up um, this little segment with Jane, also I'll just touch on insurance. Um, we're not going to speak a lot about it because it'll be covered later tonight, but at this stage of Jane's life, protecting her income is without doubt the most important form of insurance that she can think about, income or, or known as income protection insurance. Her biggest asset is her ability to earn income She's just starting out. She could have 30, 40, 50 years ahead of her to earn her salary, which will be growing over time and we also be growing with inflation. She needs to insure herself against that. If she falls um, sick or, or gets injured in her you know, early, early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, this will help her continue to live her life and achieve her dreams and goals and objectives. So just to summarise this early stage in Jane's life, so it's really about laying that foundation. So putting in place all the structures and strategies that can really help her, will set her on the right path to achieve what she wants to achieve throughout her working life and also retirement. So it's about doing the work and setting in place a budget, but at the same time really containing her expenditure. So not being too tempted to increase her lifestyle as her salary increases. We spoke about the importance of aligning your investments with what your objectives are. So if it's a shorter term objective, looking at shorter term assets like cash and fixed interest. Whereas if it's a longer term objective, say five, six, seven years, perhaps then we can look at more growth assets to really accelerate her, her wealth creation. We touched on superannuation, may not be a priority at a young age to perhaps consider increasing large scale contributions, but still important to do a bit of an order and just make sure that you've got the right fund in place and the right investment option. And as Nathan touched on at the end, looking at protecting your biggest asset, which is your ability to earn an income. I mean, if you're 25 years of age and you wanna to work till age 60, that's 35 years of salary. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. So it's a massive asset that's really important. Just some references. I touched on earlier the book, The uh, Richest Man in Babylon. Um, just a couple of other books that we, we, I mean, as advisors, we find interesting and, and I think are really simple reads. Uh, Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins is a New York bestseller. And also, I suppose, a more local favourite, The Barefoot Investor, which goes a lot into a lot of, lot of the budgeting principles that we were chatting about earlier. 
Sure, so, so Jane has uh, got through her 20s. She's now age 30, and we're gonna focus on the years 30 to 45. Her objectives are definitely gonna shift in this, uh, in this period of time, more towards debt reduction and risk protection. So Jane has now uh, met her, her partner, Steve. They've, uh, they've, they've got married, they've had two young children, They've also purchased their dream family home. At the same time, they had to take out quite a big mortgage to allow them to, to purchase this home. So their, their objectives are now shifted towards debt reduction. They really want to pay off this loan as quick, quickly as they can to focus on other things in life. They're very focused on their career. They want to keep climbing the, the corporate ladders. However, at the same time, travel is very important for them. They want to keep traveling overseas, perhaps at least once a year, and they don't want to compromise this objective of theirs. So Glenn, I'll ask you the question, what do you think in this period that they need to focus on first and foremost? I think a lot of people in this situation, they take on board a mortgage to buy a property. They're probably sort of asking themselves, how much do we have to compromise? Do we have to compromise our lifestyle as a result of this debt burden that we've taken on board? Um, and for us, the answer would be no. There's no need for you to compromise so long as you've got the, a budget in place as long as you've got a plan. Now, normally in a situation like this, as advisors, what we would be focusing on is repaying the debt against the home as quickly as possible. Now, in the case of Jane and Steve, they're both employed and they're, fortunate, they're in a fortunate enough position where they've got enough cash flow to meet the repayments of their loan and still have some excess money left over. So the question that they would ask is, with this extra money, are we better off repaying the mortgage or investing? Now, the thing to bear in mind is that if they make the decision to invest that money, any return that they get, they'll be taxed on that. Now, if they're on the top rate of tax, they're going to lose effectively half of their return through taxation. So if we consider the debt against their house, and let's just assume the rate's 5%, what that tells to us as advisors is that their investments would need to return almost double that to beat paying off the mortgage. So we're looking at a bar of a 10% return to be better than repaying your mortgage at current low interest rates. So as the rates rise on your mortgage, so too does the required rate of return. Now you might sort of think, well, 10%, yeah, the bar's fairly high, but maybe I can achieve that through share investment or property investment. But the question we would pose is, is that a guaranteed rate of return? Now, as an advisor, I'd be pretty happy accepting 10% guaranteed on my money for the term of the loan, which could be 10, 15 years. So that's why I suppose as a, explanation as to would normally focus on repaying that debt as quickly as possible because it is a guaranteed rate of return with no investment risk and no market volatility. The other thing that we'd be suggesting to them is to not set their repayments at the minimum level. And the reason being is that if we look at the interest rate environment at the moment, it's at historic lows. Now for a lot of the younger people in the room, that may be all that you've experienced through your working life and perhaps through your debt repayment cycle. But for a lot of the older people in the room, they probably remember when rates were a lot higher than where they were. And it wasn't that long ago. I remember pre-global financial crisis, so 2007, rates were clawing back up to 10%. So if you are budgeting on having rates as they are now, that really is fraught with danger. But the other advantage of paying a higher rate of repayments is you can repay it quicker, which means that you've got more time at the back end to focus on asset accumulation. And remember the banks, when you sign a loan con contract, it's usually 30 years. The banks want you to keep repaying that, that loan for 30 years. In the early years of the loan, the, uh, the interest obligation will probably be 80, 90% of the, 
the total repayment. So when you look at your loan balance at the end of every year, you'll see a, a marginal decrease. So that's why the additional repayments are paramount. So you can, you can knock years and years off the life of the loan. So, so further what Glenn said, Jane and Steve have done the right thing. They're, they're paying off as much as they can off their loan. Excellent. So as, they, as we move through the years, they might be in their late 30s or early 40s. And let's assume they've paid off a significant portion of their, of their loan. Perhaps they've paid off, off at least half of it, maybe a little bit more. So they've got a big chunk of equity now. So they're probably going through the motions thinking, okay, we've got a lot of equi equity in our home. How can we use that to our advantage? So what they can consider is what's called a borrowing for investment strategy. They can effectively redraw a sum of money. So hopefully they've got a redraw facility with their loan. Most, most would have that available for you. And they can, so they can redraw that money and then they can invest that money in a, a portfolio perhaps to try and generate a significant rate of return. Now, as Glenn spoke about earlier, he was very, very, very accurate when he said their required rate of return would need to be circa 10% in the current environment. The beauty of borrowing for investment, when you redraw that money, the interest component, so when you're making your loan repayments on that amount, the interest component is tax deductible. So that for, therefore the required rate of return is no longer maybe 10%, effectively it's whatever your interest rate is. So if your interest rate is 5%, that's, that's the benchmark, or that's what you need to beat to justify the benefit of redrawing that money for investment. We will just, before I hand it over Glenn, I just will mention that um, borrowing does carry risk. So if you are considering undertaking a borrowing for investment strategy, just be aware that obviously the market can move against you. So we strongly recommend that you do seek, seek advice. Just closing off on the borrowing to investment strategy, one of the advantages of implementing that strategy is that it brings forward your investment time horizon. Because in the case of um, Jane and Steve, if they wait till they've repaid their loan to start investing, they could miss out on 10, 15 years of invest investment returns. Now we've seen how powerful compounding can be over a five year period. If we're looking at 10, 15 years, the, the um, magnification of those gains is quite significant. So that, that's one of the main advantages of, of starting early once you're in the right position. Nathan touched on the importance of insurance when Jane was quite young. Now as her situations change, she's gone from a situation where she had no dependence and she was effectively reliant on herself. So there was no obligations, no debts. Now in this situation with a family, she's got a mortgage, she's got young children, and, and both her and Steve are dependent on each other. Now the question is, if something was to happen to either one of them, now it may be temporary illness, it may be permanent illness, it may, worst case scenario, it may be death. How would that impact their situation and their ability to achieve not only their objectives, but their family's objectives? And that's why when you implement a strategy, it's one thing, but just as important is to review it as your situation changes. And just to wrap up this segment, an important part of any good financial plan is estate planning. So what, what estate planning means is basically make sure you have a, a will in place. Uh, we'd strongly recommend that if you are going to set up a will, you engage a solicitor because you don't want to make any mistakes. Um, you want to make sure your assets are left as you want them to, to your beneficiaries. At the same time, an enduring power of attorney arrangement uh, would be worthwhile. Um, but yeah, we'd strongly recommend that your estate planning needs shouldn't be neglected. Don't think you're just because you're young, you don't need a will. You never know what's around the corner. The earlier you do it, the better. So just to, to wrap up this period of Jane's life from age 30 to 45, the, the shift is definitely focused now towards debt repayment and, and risk protection. They're gonna strongly focus on repaying debt, hopefully paying over and above what they need uh, in terms of minimum repayments. 
They may consider a borrowing for investment strategy as they pay down more off that loan and have equity available. They want to make use of that to bring forward their, um, their future growth. They also need to review their insurance to protect their change of circumstances and their, their young growing family. And finally, as I mentioned, an estate, estate planning solution. So we're going to leap forward a few years. So Jane and Steve are now in their mid to late 40s, early 50s. Um, they've got to a point when Nathan clicks over um, <laughs> where their children are a little bit older now. So they've got two te teenage children. Steve's a lot happier than what he looks in this picture. Um, but their daughter's almost at the back end of school. Sorry. And um, they've fortunately now repaid their home loan. So they're in a fairly solid financial position. They've freed up a lot of cash flow through not having to make loan repayments anymore and not have significant school fees. So now it's really go time. It's time for them to sit down and look at their situation, analyse how much spare cash flow they've got and put in place you know, this really strong asset accumulation program and not deviate from their objectives. So Nathan, what's their, what's their best course of action now? Sure, so I think at this stage of their life, obviously we're moving more towards the wealth accumulation phase. They've hopefully paid down that loan. Um, now one vehicle which is very advantageous, um, the, the closer you need to retirement is superannuation. We spoke about it earlier where it might not be the best when you're younger. As you get closer to retirement, it definitely comes back into, into play due to the tax advantages. Now we're strong advocates of self-managed superannuation funds. Um, Self-managed superannuation funds basically allow a lot more control and flexibility than you can get from uh, other alternatives such as your industry funds or your retail funds. Generally you need scale um, to, I guess, make it cost effective because there is increased fees, accounting fees and, and audit. Um, they can also pool their wealth together to, uh, I guess, you know, get their superannuation benefits working uh, as one strategy. The reason why, as advisors, we bang on about superannuation um, is really around the tax benefits. I mean, effectively, all superannuation is is a structure that you can use to invest in assets. Now, the advantage of superannuation as an asset accumulation tool for retirement is that the maximum tax you'll pay on the earnings is 15%. So even when Jane and Steve are sort of still working and still accumulating, the maximum tax that they'll pay on their earnings is 15%. Now, we compare that to, once again, the top marginal rate of 47%, there's a 32% tax saving. So you compare that with investing outside of superannuation, there's great tax benefits by investing within that structure. And that's all it is. It's just a structure to use to buy assets, whether that be shares or property. Now, we spoke earlier about Jane's situation and perhaps not the right time to, be, to consider contributing additional amounts to superannuation. However, at this age, given that they've freed up a lot of cash flow, they don't have a mortgage, and they're getting closer to that magic age of 60 where they can access their superannuation benefits, this is the time where they should really consider maximising what they're contributing to superannuation with those pre-tax contributions. So at the moment, that's $25,000 a year um, from their pre-tax. So effectively, that's a significant saving. Where they'd if, if they were saving $25,000 in their own names, they'd have to earn $50,000 to do that. So via salary sacrifice, they can make pre-tax contributions and save some tax, but more importantly, accumulate assets for their retirement in a very tax-effective um, tax structure. So Steve and Jane could be in that fortunate position where they've paid off their home loan, they're maximising their superannuation contributions. The government in, in recent years has significantly restricted how much you can, you can put in, in terms of the, the tax concessions that you can enjoy. 
So they've got, a, I guess, a good problem to have where they've got a savings capacity now. They've repaid their home loan. Kids have gone through school fees, so they've got a lot of free cash flow. Superannuation, as, as great as it is, it is, it is preserved until you're 60 years of age. So they may be in their late 40s or early 50s, and they, they might be a little bit cautious about putting all, or locking all their money into this preserved structure of superannuation in case they want to call on it before 60. So we're going we're gonna to show an example of, once again, as I said earlier, the power of compounding interest. So now they've paid off the home loan, kids have finished school, they've got a $4,000 amount every month they can save because they're earning good salaries, they've continued to move up the corporate ladder. This is a 20-year projection, so let's assume it started somewhere around age 40 and it might take them through to age 60. We've assumed what we, once again, think is an achievable rate of return at 7%. So you'll see here as we work through the years, you'll see here, I'll, I'll point you to the end figure. So it's two just over $2 million. So a couple of things to highlight. They've contributed 960000 over that period, which is their $4,000 a month over 20 years. But you'll see the real power has come in the, the compounding returns. So over a million dollars, which is once again highlighted by that light pink line here. It just shows you the longer this strategy has to do its work, the better the result will be. And obviously, someone who starts this, I mean, you often see these, um, these examples, but the earlier somebody starts, the better. We know there's complexities with mortgages and families and things like that, but just as a general principle, the earlier you get working on something like this, the better for you. So to wrap up uh, the final of this, Sorry, I've stolen your thunder. No, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so just, as Nathan was saying, just to wrap up this sort of final stage in, in their lives, it's really about focusing on accumulation for your retirement. Um, so most often at this stage of life, you're probably at your peak, the peak of your earning potential. As we were saying, the children are perhaps a little bit older, so school fees are fortunately coming to an end. You've repaid your debt, so it's time to consider maximising what you're contributing to superannuation. But as Nathan was saying, that's really limited. Um, so perhaps looking at accumulating money outside of superannuation, and we can always look at perhaps contributing those down the track to superannuation. Um, so really it's about consolidating and, and resetting um, to really asset accumulation. Good. So just to bring it all together, we, we've sort of gone on a bit of a journey, as I said, from, from age 20 to age 50, broken it down into three separate stages. Really, as I was saying earlier, the, the initial stage between, the, between 20 and 30, in our view, is, a, is around laying that foundation. So putting in place the right structures and strategies that can help you throughout your life achieve what it is that you want to achieve, whether that's financial or lifestyle. Um, and then moving on to your 30s and 40s, perhaps it is on debt repayment and risk protection, um, but by having the right strategy, hopefully you can repay those debts as quickly as possible so that then when you move into that 45 to 50 age bracket, give or take a few years depending on your situation, you can really shift your focus from debt repayment to asset accumulation and ultimately that's what will help you achieve what it is that you want to achieve in your lives. So the question is what now? Um, and our point is to take action, to actually do something about it. As Nicole was saying earlier, it's, all, it's, it's important to identify what your pa passions are, um, but then it's just as important to execute that uh, and have a plan to execute it. Because without a plan, you're not going to get anywhere. But I think it's important to understand what is it that's really important in your lives and what commitments are you required to make to achieve those objectives. It's never too late, never too early. I know we focus on the 20 to 50s, but even if you're younger than that or older than that, it's never too late. 
And there's always a time, there's no better time than now to get that strategy um, in place. And as we would say always, without any vested interest, it's seek advice, speak to professionals who can help you on, on that journey. Um, so we thank you for your time tonight. As, as we were saying, we, we both host the Money Mentors program, um, which is a, a weekly podcast. A lot of what we've spoken about today, we probably go into further detail within that. It's all about financial literacy and education, and it's at all different levels. So I'd strongly encourage you all um, to, to check it out, listen, subscribe, rate, review. <laughs> um, so once again, thank you for all, for all for your time. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Please, once again, search us via the website, which is www.hewlison.com.au. You can also find out more about Hewlison Private Wealth via the various social media platforms by simply searching Hewlison Private Wealth on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, please also subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Um, as always, look forward to speaking to you all again next week.